It's cracking me up though when we were watching um, the Joe Rogan questions everything because mm-hmm. like the way he was I don't know if he still does it on his podcast but the way he was wearing it um, his headphones on the show he has like this part extended so far out that the top part doesn't touch his head at all. <laughs> it's like why are you wearing it that way? The whole point of the padding is that it rests on yeah. your head. We've been on a fucking kick. We've been on YouTube watching Joe Rogan's questions everything and, and then like fucking episodes of Fear Factor from like 2003. (laughs) I was gonna watch Mind Freak last night. I am the Mind Freak. Mind Freak. There's no reality. Yeah, who is that? Um, I think it's his name. Is it like Chris Angel? Oh. Yeah, he's a magician. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, and he like pretends to levitate. (laughs) It was really cool when I was in middle school, and then I was like, there's no fucking way. (laughs) (laughs) I'm stuck. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting Mistakes Were Made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the badass bitch, maybe, with the brand new gig, Kristen Bloom! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah if I if I, my energy is all over the place today I am all over the place today yeah Kristen so. goes I'm drinking wine on the show I was like great then she sat down with a glass of frozen berries so that's where we are <laughs> left the wine in the fridge oh man I, I might die of a heart attack before the end of the episode <laughs> to be honest I, like it was a struggle to keep it together oh you put my cat on the movie thing <laughs> he's <Yeah>. like creepily <laughs> staring at me <laughs> and that's that's where not my Max energy's at not Max the cat there's a, a strange sculpture we yeah have. It looks like something um, like Rocco's Modern Life meets Cat Dog. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, like, kind of creepy, but also, like, very cartoony. I like it. Yeah. Um, I gotta find somewhere to actually put it for real when we have room, because it's just been stashed. But, yeah, my energy's all over the place. We're all over the place. (laughs) I cleaned today. I organized the bookshelf. I discovered that I maybe have room for three more books. But you organized the bookshelf because I got rid of the boxes. Facts. You see the bookshelf again. <laughs> it was driving me nuts because like this, there was one whole section where it's just books that I've read this year, and I've just thrown them in there. <laughs> there was no organization because I've uh, I've got these cheap ones that I've had fucking forever. <clears throat> but there's um, bookshelves, not books. Yeah, <laughs> I've had these bookshelves forever. They're like the cheap ones you buy at the Walmart, little black plywood things. <clears throat> And I can never, because I think if they were like one inch taller, it would be perfect. But They're very short. Yeah, because I can I can only get certain, you know, like dime store paperback novels on the top shelf. And then the bottom shelf, it's like a very specific size. And then I can get my larger ones in on the bottom. But I read a shitload, so there's books everywhere. So I was on the floor. I was like, okay, pull all the small books. You are all now my top shelf books. <laughs> well, I think they probably do it that way just because they're not sturdy, so they want you to put the heavy books on the bottom shelf. On the bottom shelf. of it, yeah. But it's held in there. You've had it for like two years now, and it yeah. has never once collapsed, shockingly, because it's definitely press board. <laughs> <laughs> I've had these things for a while because I had them before I had my old apartment. No, you bought these whenever we got here. These Maybe? ones? I think so. I bought this, the one behind us, the big one. I thought you bought those at no, the same I, time. No, I, I bought the big one because in the old apartment I had the in-the-wall bookshelf, so yeah. I didn't need a big one like that. Oh, I thought for some reason because I, I remembered you saying you were going to Walmart because it was before I had come back up, like yeah, I was this, still in Tennessee. this one back here because I had to consider drilling it into the wall because I thought it was going to fall over for a good minute. It's also held in there pretty well, all yeah. things considered, because <laughs> there are some heavy books on that one. We're surrounded 
by knowledge, <laughs> pure knowledge, and I've retained none of it. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of books, I finished the book that I was reading, which was uh, Dope World by Nico. And I'm going to fuck up his last name because he's a Russian dude. Voro Boyov. V-O-R-O-B-Y-O-V. Yeah. Sounds Russian to me. <clears throat> which I quite enjoyed it. Um, it was about Nico. Um, not about Nico, but Nico was a cocaine dealer, like small time, like coke dealer, sold to college kids, so like a college level. I don't want to call him small time. I don't want to get killed by a Russian drug dealer. Um, but he got busted on the tube with coke and got sent to jail. And while, or prison, and while he was in prison, he came up with the idea that he was kind of going to get to the bottom of the international drug trade, which the premise is awesome. The cover work is some of the best cover work. Like I want to like just take the book sleeve and like put it behind glass. It's gorgeous, um, and I, I learned quite a bit out of it. But it was written in a very informal way. Like he. he praises hunter thompson like really early in and so he wanted to make like a gonzo journey for himself the writing is not on par with thompson but it rarely is you know um so his gonzo thing uh i learned quite a bit but it is informal like i wouldn't put it up for like an academic paper if i was writing a paper about the drug war yeah. um and i wanted to kind of get your thoughts on like that sort of dynamic because it is a journalism book you know, but much in the way of the Gonzo style, it's not written like proper journalism. It's not. And then on August sixteenth, nineteen forty-seven, you know, it's more like. So I was hanging out with this dude, and we were smoking reefer in the parking lot. <laughs> um, I mean, to be honest, I've not, as far as I know, read any books that were written that way. I mean, I've definitely mm -hmm. read like articles and stuff, but um, I guess it depends on your preference. Like, it's probably more accessible for people that aren't. Uh, as avid readers yeah. as you are because <laughs> you yeah. read quite a bit. And I think that's the real benefit to it is it, it is a lot more accessible. Like it's really good for somebody who is trying to learn about the international drug trade but doesn't spend almost every weekend trying to convince their wife to watch the Cocaine Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's completely different obviously because one's a real person's account and one's fiction but like I read the Lord of the Rings books whenever I was in... Mm -hmm. I think the very early stages of high school if I'm remembering right and I found them interesting I think just because I hadn't read them before yep. um but they're lengthy and dry and mm -hmm. like parts of it kind of feel like and you're the reading. door was three <laughs> foot seven centimeters <laughs> some of it kind of reads like you're reading some mm -hmm. old historian's account of a war that happened like thousands of yep. years ago so I don't think I could ever, as much as that series meant to me, go back and reread it again. <laughs> so I feel like stuff like this, like whenever it's a bit more casual, probably makes it a bit more of an enjoyable experience for people that aren't yeah. really devout readers. Because stuff like that is hard to get through whenever it's like very textbooky, yeah, very thick. And I'm used to reading things that are more thick. You don't get a lot of Gonzo stuff. You get like in the war correspondence, like when I read Generation Kill. Um, that is very conversational as well. Like you get these embedded journalist type books and those tend to be more of the, this is my experience here as opposed to here's the larger picture. The thing that I found frustrating about the book 
And I loved it, so, you know, don't think that I'm taking the shit out on it. It's the worst book ever. No, I really enjoyed it, you know? But um, my frustrations with it were because it was trying to be his lived experience through the international drug trade, but he also wanted to give a history lesson of this is why I'm in Tokyo looking at LSD, or here's why I'm in Nigeria, you know, talking to, you know, kids with AK-40. No, he did that in Brazil, but yeah, hops all over the place. Um, he also tries to give you the history lesson on top of that. So he's trying to wrap up like entire country's histories in the drug trade um, very quickly so that he can tell you why he's hanging out in this favela, you know, or how he wound up hanging out with El Chapo's cousin. And I'm pretty versed in the Mexican cartels and I'm pretty versed in like the you know the Colombians moving shit over but I know nothing about Nigeria so like, I had to google a whole bunch of shit to like get myself truly spun up in his defense that is basically how American history goes though we don't tell all the facts at all <laughs> <laughs> it was like reading a, a high school textbook <laughs> and then Columbus and then Columbus showed up and there were some people already there but fuck those guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I guess I mean, I guess I could see where it'd be frustrating, but I guess that's also probably not the point of his book. Yeah. He's trying to tell you his story. But not... I'm really into the subject, so it's mm -hmm. like now you're making me go read a whole shitload of Wikipedia pages. I've got like 30 pulled up on my phone, and I try to read them when I'm smoking cigarettes. Like, okay, like, what am I... pause this chapter and then go read about this incident. Yeah, I've got a guy on my... Uh, Wikipedia list of just it looks like a fucking Rolodex at this point but he sings uh, like narco or he used to sing narco ballads in like the 70s and he was just a footnote in a sentence and uh, apparently like would get hired by the narcos to write the songs about them and then he got executed by the cartels and I was like that sounds like a book and you know, <laughs> I want to read a book on just that one sentence that is brought up here Tough yeah so it's great for expanding <laughs> the mind <laughs> That's yeah, um, our drugs. Because <laughs> you've read, you've read some uh, Hunter's work also. Um, yeah, most of it. So, I was in the debate the other day when I went to the bookstore and got my two new books. Um, there's a collection of his articles, every article that he ever wrote for the Rolling Stone. And I was like, I want to do this, but I, I couldn't commit. <laughs> I was like, I need to go home and make sure I don't own that one. And I've just put it somewhere because I've got a few books like that where it's like, these are references. That's definitely going to be a problem old you has. If you ever mm -hmm. start going senile, you'll just have 10 copies of one book. I've got two copies of Johnny Get Your Gun. <laughs> <laughs> but since you've read like stuff like that before where it's... Um, like gonzo journalism and then also you've read other drug books how mm -hmm. would, where would you rate it on read now or read this other thing first i mean it really depends i liked it because I've, i was coming off of a stream of like heavier things like i tried to do the don's macabre and i was like god damn it and a few other um stickier ones that i, that I didn't like and i couldn't get my way through so going into dope world it was you know kind of a hey this is easy you can take in what you want to take in. You know, it's like being in the passenger seat of the guy's car, you know. So I learned quite a bit. I didn't retain nearly as much, you know, as I would if I'd read a more textbook style book, you know, that laid everything out front to back. Um, but 
I maintain my stance. We need to end the drug war. <laughs> well, <laughs> and that's kind of the point that it comes to. Different war, but we're officially out of Af- out Afghanistan. Saw that I was like, oh wow, <laughs> mixed feelings. But this isn't a political show. No, no, not even touching Afghanistan. <laughs> I think we should be out. I think we should have left a long time ago. But I am that's still very conflicted. Just a on shocking it. statement to read, though, because that we're done. We've been there since I was 10. As you've uh, said before, you get all your news from Twitter. I got the push notification from Twitter, Mm -hmm. and it was like, the U.S. is officially done. We're done. All the troops are out. We're done doing any military evacuations. And it just felt like such a heavy sentence. It was like, who's left and what's going to happen? Well, I read an article on it today um, because as the pullout was happening, um, they threw another drone strike and accidentally killed like 10 civilians, most of them children. Um and it sounds like they were trying to hit a car bomb, hit the car bomb, car bomb blew up, killed the people next door to the car bomb, if I understood the story correctly. And they were saying something in the neighborhood of 25, 2,700 U.S. military members have died over there, and then there were like 48,000 civilian casualties. And I was like, that, that hurts. Because <laughs> like I've been paying attention to it the whole time. Mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of political shows. I just try not to go political in here. And I try to keep up with the wars. Um, that is an astronomical number. I mean, that borderlines on genocide, and I'm heartbroken by it. That's fucking... Yeah. Which, um, yeah, this is not the topic of our podcast, and I don't really want to... No, we've actually in. got a TV show we're going to talk about. <laughs> I, d- I don't want to dive into that, but I guess, like, it's a thing of note today. Um, mm-hmm. August 30th, as we're recording this episode. Uh, yeah, we're... We're out. You know, we were alive to see, which I know we were in Afghanistan before that, but we were alive to see 9-11 and to mm-hmm. read read that sentence today was kind of heavy. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's... So I guess uh, cheers to those we lost and to those were, who yeah. were affected. What's been interesting for me, and again, don't want to mull, but I feel like I'm, I'm going to mull. <laughs> What's interesting to me is the conversations that I've been hearing um, this week. Um, after that bomb took out those 13 um, at the airport, and we've been seeing all the footage. I saw the, the footage of the aftermath of that bomb, and it's horrific, so don't Google that um, unless you really want to see it. But um, People have been talking about the war in... Like, okay, like I'm going to say this yeah, diplomatically. Exactly. Uh, it was fiery... Going into Iraq, I don't think there was much pushback going into Afghanistan in America. Right after 9-11, we were caught up in some wild shit, and it was really easy to go. Um, there was a lot of debate going into Iraq in 03, and then mostly silence for like the past decade, you know? Um, and now there's fire again, and like this odd sense of patriotism, but... There was no mission, and there was no mission accomplished. Like It was a 20-year... I don't know what. You know, guarding some opium fields, fucking killing a Saudi guy in Pakistan, um, slaughtering civilians for um, revenge. (laughs) Uh, But as a former military guy... um, It's interesting seeing the reaction of the civilian populace who hasn't had to think about the war. And I don't, that's where I'm conflicted. Like, that's where I'm 
I, I, I don't support the war. I think we need to be out of the country. I think it should be a humanitarian mission to help them rebuild what, you know, countless countries have fucking knocked down, but... I don't know. Anyway, speaking of uh, things that <laughs> speaking that of make you sad. speaking of conflict, before I start screaming into the microphone. <laughs> hmm. But cheers and welcome home. Um, we started watching a show on Netflix. Let me try to get my energies back. I'm probably gonna have to get up and get a beer hyper early into this episode. Um, whew. So, we watched a show featuring one of my favorite comedians. And he's, you know, a person of much conflict, much ire, much douchebaggery amongst his fan base. Um, he's got a great podcast. He interviewed the president. His name is Mark Marin. I've loved Marin for years and years um, because he is, in his old age, he becomes funnier to me. Like, I think you said it best the other day, where it's like, it's not like when I listen to Stan Hope and it's like I will laugh at the same joke I've heard 300 fucking times you know or if I put on one of you know like a Kinnison bit where it's loud and it's explosive and it makes you laugh mm -hmm. Marin in his older age um, you can feel the rage underneath this like calm I just like records man and I want to eat some ice cream demeanor <laughs> like he's got this anger that's right underneath the surface at all times and he was in a show that started in 2017, got canceled because of the COVID epidemic, and we may be getting a movie. I tried to do some research. They yeah. haven't fully announced it because there was only supposed to be one more season and they couldn't film it because they're trying to do a wrestling show. During COVID, that show is Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. I really thought, because the cover photo looks pretty absurd, that it was going to be dumb. I yeah. was like, this is going to be comic booky. Well, the premise is basically they're trying to emulate what mm -hmm. WWE wrestling is, which is very showy and it's like villains and good guys and mm -hmm. costumes and absurdity. So I thought it was going to be basically like if we were like watching, Nacho Libre. <laughs> yeah, like if we were watching like wrestling and um some weird shit happens up front, but the show's yeah. got a lot of heart. <laughs> yeah, we're only like three episodes in, so don't ruin it for us, because I do want to get through all three seasons. Um, but right off the bat, just go watch the pilot. Pause this, go watch the pilot. Um, right off the bat, I, I, I thought we were walking into this goofy thing, much like you did. And the writing is so just unconventional, and we get to see like a side of our main character right up front that is a borderline, like, unforgivable trait well, that you would expect her... in your bad guy. Like, if this was Mean Girls, you know? <laughs> well, it's weird because they introduce her and make her seem so beat down by life. Yeah. And then at the end of the pilot, it's like, oh, I can't stand this bitch. <laughs> yeah, she's been fucking her best friend's husband. Like, the, the... Who has a newborn baby. Who has a newborn baby. Like, the that's the trait that that's something that happens to the MC. At least I have my husband. Oh fuck. My best friend is fucking my husband. You know, like that ha happens to your main character. It's never your main character inflicting that upon another person. Yeah. And like, I her, thought was such a beautiful move. Her friend, I guess ultimately is kind of, um, her co-star. So I guess technically they're both main characters, but the show is really about, 
the chick that cheated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Ruth. <laughs> but yeah, it's bizarre because then then she see she has like this girl next door look, and she seems yeah, like... failed actress working a waitressing job. Yeah, and she seems like nice and like she's all right, and then. Um, yeah, like by the end of literally the pilot, you're like, I don't like her. I don't like this bitch. Yeah, I thought like it, it, it's so complex, like uh, to do a move like that, and I, I'm having difficulties thinking of other examples where something like that happens, where we 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 show our characters huge flaw, like in their day to day life. Well, they also like, don't... this isn't a one-off, like, she fucked him. Like, he came over, she asked him to leave. We have, like, this kind of Dawson's Creek moment where he climbs through the window and, like, convinces her, more or less, to have sex she with him again. She doesn't fight him that hard. Exactly. But we're, like, we're... That introduces something to the character, you know, in and of itself. And then to learn the relationship she truly has with that husband is through her best friend, who's also a failed actress. We get an immediate foil which is what they become on the mats. Well, I think it's interesting, too, that they don't make her particularly... from a burn I received (laughs) from a Tostito the other night, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) We were... I I don't eat pizza rolls. I don't eat microwavable food. And the the other night, we were, like, sitting down watching Fear Factor. And... I warned you. Yeah, and I did not heed that warning, and when I bit into the Tostino, it fucking landed on my chin, and I've got like a third degree burn on my face. <laughs> it's going to be loud. Now I'm going to lift it. All right, I'm just going to pause it. We're going to figure it out. <laughs> All right, and we're back. <laughs> you should be more careful when eating pizza rolls. So the secret, <laughs> the secret is, if you're not patient enough to let them cool off, which we're never patient enough to let them cool off, <laughs> is you have to bite... The tip of the corner, just like the not tip. not the whole damn thing, <laughs> like just the tip of the corner, so that you create a small hole and then you blow the hole. Yeah, I bit <laughs> uh, half of it you directly blow. into my face, and all of the lava hot fucking gunk yeah. fell on my you chin. You blow into the hole, and you don't have to do it for any great length of time, <laughs> just a few seconds, and then you can eat the pizza roll. And that is the secret technique. God damn it! So where were we? Glow. Um. So I, I think it's I knew what show we were talking about. <laughs> I was like, anyway, back to the war in Afghanistan. <laughs> no, I think it's interesting that they don't really make any attempt to immediately make her redemptive either. Like you get, yeah, up front before we realize she's fucking her best friend's husband. Like this kind of sad, rundown character, but not like woe is me. Like you feel bad for her despite the cheating sad like yeah. she's got parents who wire her money and she has a roof just over one her more head. time and mm-hmm. like the bad shit that happens to her as far as her not getting food is comical like some street yeah. gang children steal her taco <laughs> like it's not like she's literally i wish i could bumming. remember what they called her because it made me laugh my fucking dick <laughs> She's not literally out bumming homeless on the street, you know, so you don't feel, like, so bad for her. But when they introduce, like, her flaw, you're like, oh, well, she was really down and out. You're like, that bitch. Yeah, fuck her. And then the episode immediately afterwards, um, everybody, I think it's the one immediately afterwards anyway, everybody's talking about her friend and how she was, like, this really 
successful, yeah. famous actress. She she's... shows up in the gym at the end of the pilot and straight whoops her ass, right? Like, is that, or am I mm, mixing up episodes? I don't, I don't remember if that's the pilot the or the Contra second. or whatever. Um, that was in three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it happens pretty much back yeah. to back, though. As soon as we realize she's fucking the other chick's husband, the other chick's husband basically Shows up at the gym, too. hands her baby to a stranger and perm- just goes but, off. But, like, <laughs> everybody at the gym is all like, oh, yeah, she was that famous soap actress and, like... Ruth is she got like, put into a coma. <laughs> well, Ruth is like, yeah, all salty, like, they wrote her out of the show, you know? Like, yeah. she doesn't feel sorry about what she did at all, so that's kind of an interesting choice, too, because it kind of, like, embeds the dislike for her character a bit mm-hmm. further, because she's not, like, immediately like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. She's like, well, she's stupid anyway. Yeah, which tells us so much about their character dynamic mm-hmm. and their history together. Like, this might not have been the first time that Ruth has done something like this, or they're only friends because she used to be famous. She- and Ruth has always been, like, this aspiring bullshit, I want to be in, you know, fucking dance car named Desire. Or whatever. But she has the audacity <laughs> to call her up when the street kids steal her car keys. Yeah. To get the extra key to her own fucking apartment, which is nuts. Oh, gosh, yeah. But I, that's the other thing that I, I wanted to kind of dive into, and this is my last topic, so we can't flip out and burn through it too quick. But I've got three parts, so I think it'll drive us all the way home. Um, I love the complex histories of these characters, as you were just talking about with uh, Ruth and Debbie and the husband, that love triangle that gets introduced right away. We've also got Sam's working relationship and past sexual history with Cherry. Like that, I think it, I think that's the third episode, the womb goof, you know, <laughs> where we've got this relationship that is a triangle within itself because it's Sam had a threesome with Cherry and her husband at some point in the past. Cherry and her husband. uh, Cherry winds up having a miscarriage. And they haven't fully fleshed where we are right now exactly where that relationship with Cherry is. But, like, they're able to disconnect work and personal on the set of the show. Well, it seems to me... And Bloom Goof is hilarious. That is such a mean phrase. But I read an article in... Variety, I think is what it was. One of the girl magazine websites. Um, It was that or Vanity Fair. But they were talking about how that particular scene, the womb goof scene, and where she, you know, what's her name chick, has the ketchup and sprays Mm -hmm. it out and starts having it. How that was such a brave thing to do, at least in 2017, um, because men are uncomfortable with talking about miscarriages. Um. The first time we hear womb goof, like, we giggle. And then, like, the second or third time, it's like, oh, he doesn't understand the emotional impact. You know, so now we've got this funny phrase for this very serious thing that he doesn't truly understand. Mm -hmm. But the character with the ketchup is the bad guy in that scene because she's doing it to hurt Cherry. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, there's definitely it's complex a lot of- as fuck. It's written by women. It's directed by women. It stars mostly women and my boy Mark Maron. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of layers to that. That that scene was a bit awkward to watch though, because you could, which obviously that's the point. You could visibly see Jerry was uncomfortable. Um, and he goes back and apologizes to her at the end of the yeah. day. He's like, I know today was hard, but yeah, offices are more money to stay on. Like, yeah. I really need you here. Yeah. Um. But I, I don't think 
What I didn't notice about that scene, that's her husband in the car. And yeah. he's just like, what's up, dude? Yeah, well, <laughs> they don't have any sort of conflict. No. Well, I don't. See, that's the impression I get, which, again, we're early in, so we haven't really dived in or dove? Dove in. Dove, dove into it. Um, I was going to let you have dived. Dived. We haven't dived. <laughs> Deep dived. Um, we haven't really dove into it, but I get the impression because she knows he did coke and... yeah. Is, I mean, he's like, currently doing coke in well, the show. Yeah, like, she knows that about him, though. And, like, I get the impression, like, the three of them partied together. Yeah. And that was, it wasn't like, oh, we're in love with each other. It was like, want to have a three-way? It's like, <laughs> we did coke. We, we, you know, so, air-sealed my wife or whatever. Yeah, like, it doesn't come across like he has feelings for Cherry. He, like, yeah. respects her as, like, someone he's worked with before. So it's just kind of like, yeah, remember that one wacky thing we did? <laughs> But I like the dynamic, just thinking about those two, because they become their own triangle because of their relationships. Like, there is conflict there, even though it's oddly friendly conflict. Like, it's more play. Like, once uh, Sam realizes, like, what he's done by being so callous or not jumping in and fixing something or uh, whatever, you know, caused her to run out of the gym... I'm sorry. I'm a little frazzled today. I saw a... <laughs> whatever. <clears throat> whatever caused her to run out of the gym. Um, like, we see the passion in Sam towards this woman. So, like, we get, like, the emotional connection, but it's not a sexualized connection yeah. in its love. It's truly a platonic relationship. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm super curious where the show itself is going, because, yeah, we aren't even halfway into it, and if they had to end it early, I'm curious if they had a chance to flush it out themselves. But you can tell it's meant to be kind of a women's empowerment-type show, because Mm -hmm. wrestling's, you know, for one, typically considered a dude sport, and then, um, like, Sam himself has the moment where he's chatting with the blonde chick and he's like yeah they didn't like your opinions and you talk too much and he's like you can be whatever you want to be on my show so we get this premise up front where it's like I want these women to feel unique and empowered and then Mm -hmm. he writes a pretty dumb script um, (laughs) which is a bit absurd because it still centers around the women needing the man Mm -hmm. Um, it's like he kind of gets it but not all the way not really Um, But then it gets shot down by the producer wanting to feed into these stereotypes and just so he can stay stay on the show, he agrees to it. And so we're kind of at that point right now where, you know, the black character that wants to feel strong Mm -hmm. and empowered and wants to be viewed as a queen is now being viewed as the welfare queen. Yeah. The Asian chick who isn't even whatever type of Asian they're casting her (laughs) as. They're, They're just like, whatever, you're Asian. Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm curious if eventually we're going to push back against that because it's odd to me that someone who was like, no, I don't want to do these cliches cave to the stereotype. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to fight back against that later. I'm, I'm very interested to see where it goes. Because we did have the moment where the character who's the welfare queen was like, yeah, but is my son going to see this and realize we're making fun of it? Yeah. Or is he going to see me as, like, the stereotype? So, yeah. um, like, I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of heavy messages in there. Um, we just haven't had a chance to unpack them yet. So I'm, I'm curious Not where it's going to go. I, I, I accidentally read a spoiler, and I don't know when it's going to fucking happen. Yourself. I'm going to keep it to myself. But, like, I, I typed 
you know, because I, I, I like to look for reviews. I like to critic reviews and stuff. And I, I was just trying to get to one particular scene that we've already seen that I'm not even going to bring up because I don't want to ruin the spoiler that it fucking leads to later. Um, but I read this one article that tied to a secondary article and I was like, no, I just read the headline. I'm not, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Um, but the, um, the last note that I have, and we've got plenty of time, <laughs> is um, Sam as a character in this uh, woman-led, women-empowered uh, show, as we said a second ago, like he kind of gets it, but not really. He is at times the protector. He is at times the asshole. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved the, the trial workout. Where he goes, this is what we're doing. Welcome to the... Like, everybody shows up for the... Is it a roll call? Is a casting call. A casting call. Everybody shows up for this casting call. It's in a boxing gym. I googled it. That's actually what happened. Like That, that is accurate to fact of the original glow. <clears throat> was that they sent out the casting call, made it look really glorious, and then it was just like a rundown boxing gym. Yeah, by people <laughs> left... Yeah, and so he asks, you know, after he gives the premise and uh, half the people leave the fucking thing, and then he runs him through this uh, trial where he basically says, like, I'm either going to nod at you or tell you to fuck off. (laughs) And so we establish his character almost the same way, and I'm not going to compare the two performances necessarily, but uh, we establish his character in a very similar fashion that we establish... Um, the drill instructor, the gunny character in Full Metal Jacket. We know who he is based off of his actions. He walks indoors smoking a cigarette, rubbing his nose. He's leaned back on the bleachers. <laughs> All right, well, here's how it's going to go. Either I like you or I don't. <laughs> well, it's interesting, too. Um, I mean, not that his character isn't flawed himself, but it's interesting, too, that his character really does not care for the main character, which, I mean, not that that's ever been, uh, or, you know, not that it's unheard of, like, main characters. Dr. Cox and JD type situation. Well, yeah, I feel like main characters are often kind of underdogs that have to overcome, but, like, he likes uh, her friend that she fucked her husband um, and does not like her and, like, actively is like, Mm -hmm. look, you're a homewrecker, like... You're not that interesting. You sold out your friend that you made in the casting call. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, which he, one of you deserves to stay? Like, he <laughs> won't give her a persona for her wrestling because he's like, I just, I don't find you that interesting. Yeah. You know, like, I can't tell if you're but hot he, or ugly. <laughs> but he lets her <laughs> stick around. Faces. She's like the stray dog that he can't get rid of, and he's like, oh, fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just stay then. Um, but yeah, like, it's an interesting dynamic because it's not just she's kind of the underdog it's like she's trying desperately to win like the approval of everyone at this point because no one likes her the wolf chick she's been paired with doesn't like her that much the mark didn't like her because he was like just follow my instructions and then she she went off on the streetcar named desire yeah (laughs) and then you know he also wants a lead actress so he's kind of enamored by the fact that the other chick like was actually semi-successful and then he just pits them against each other so (laughs) it is a really interesting dynamic to see because he's not like mean mean to her like he says some like kind of like hurtful things sometimes but he's almost indifferent to her he's just like just fucking go stand in the corner (laughs) you're in my way go over there (laughs) he's 
Marin there, I, I've seen him in a couple of different things. Uh, his show, Marin, if you get a chance to see it, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere or if it's available, you know, like as a DVD or like a buy on Amazon. Um, his show, I loved it. Um, <clears throat> his acting here is a lot more dynamic, which is odd because he was playing himself before. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like there were moments in Marin, which you and I didn't finish it, so yeah. I've not seen all of it, but like whenever... I finished it. I watched it like three times. <laughs> whenever he runs into like his ex, that's kind of a heavy scene. Oh, in the pilot when like his dog had shit all over something or his cat his cat, his yeah. cat had Boomer. shit all over something and he was like standing in that fancy restaurant having the argument with, with the her boyfriend yeah. <laughs> yeah what's that smell i think the only thing about that can i show, use your bathroom or not <laughs> i think the only thing about that show that's odd is it's almost like you see it and then it gets narrated back to you because he ends the show with the podcast yeah um so like you're kind of seeing it in real time and then it's like someone's like yeah, so that's how my day went. <laughs> so that's the only thing that's a little bit of a disconnect, but it's yeah. an interesting show. The final season is beautiful, and I, I'm down. Yeah, um, the final season is it just phenomenal because like he is trying to get off of coke, and that's. I mean, Marin's talked about his cocaine addiction on his podcast before, but to like see this representation because basically. Uh, the beats from what I remember after listening to this guy for like fucking 15 years or however long he's been doing what the fuck um, is he was doing blow with Kennison and when you do blow with Kennison you start hearing voices and so he had to run away from the comedy store like moved back home and like had to spend like two or three years piecing his psyche back together before he could go on stage that level of coke addiction so in the final season of Marin we get a version of that where like he's trying to stop doing cocaine um forgot how I was going to tie that back together (laughs) but it's gorgeous Uh, his dynamic in this show is even though he's playing somebody that's not himself and there is a version of Marin Marin didn't relapse you know so like that part I don't want to call it disingenuous he's commenting on the earlier part of his life in the last season of his show Um, but we see him as a coke addict in the show and it's like oh there's Marin (laughs) I do wonder sometimes if that's ever difficult I don't know if I'm making myself clear (laughs) grab another beer no you're good I do wonder sometimes, though, if that's ever difficult because, um, you know, obviously... Like pretending to do coke after you've done Yeah, that. I mean, obviously with most things, um, the stuff that they give you isn't real. Like if, because um, I've worked on quite a few films and TV shows, like if you see characters drinking alcohol, it's never actually alcohol because you can't get your leading actors drunk <laughs> and then expect them to perform at the same level. I mean, obviously. They did it in one movie, but I can't remember the name of the movie. And obviously, um, you're not going to give your characters actual coke. Yeah, maybe old Hollywood, but like modern stuff at the very least. Anyway, you're not going to give your Can you imagine Al Pacino just burying his head in that pile at the end of Scarface and then just dying of a heart attack, not even being able to shoot anybody? (laughs) And they have um, fake cigarettes, too, that I know some productions use, but there was a reality TV show. Or no, maybe it was... 
Yeah, I can't remember. It might have been a reality show or it might have just been a regular TV show. Um, that was filming in Nashville when I was like still doing some acting stuff. And mm-hmm. um, I was in a scene and I'm not a smoker. I don't smoke. Yeah. And they asked me if I would smoke. And so it was like eight hours of mm-hmm. just burning through cigarettes. Well, we did that to Homeboy for that trailer. Well, for he the... does smoke, though, so I didn't feel bad <laughs> yeah, about that. Yeah, but I just had to, like, buy him a pack and be like, all right, dude, you're going to light one of these, like, every 30 seconds because we need to get you to light, you know? <laughs> but, yeah, I'm not a smoker, so that was, like, my whole day. It was, like, pretending like I did smoke, and by the end of the day, I felt like shit. <laughs> I was like, this is not... <laughs> not a thing that should be happening. <laughs> um, so yeah, most of the time it's fake, but I do wonder um, if someone had like a real addiction, like a former alcoholic is like doing a scene where they're drinking or, you know, a former um, drug addict is doing a scene mm-hmm. where they're snorting something or whatever, if that like on any level kind of like incites some craving. That I was curious about that when we finally get the reveal. Like there's hints, like he flicks his nose a lot and he's, you know, aggressive, you know. Um, but we don't see him do it on screen, I don't think, until like the second or third episode. It's, it's one of those. Um, and I'm sure Marin's far enough removed. I mean, he's been hanging out in comedy clubs in like the some odd years that he's been clean um but that has to fuck with you i mean i don't i don't I think, think it's probably easier for an alcoholic to like drink apple juice and pretend that it's whiskey and just slam the shot glass back down like that's probably significantly easier but like snorting baby powder and like getting the gack in the back of the throat is probably you know which i <laughs> so give I, me a red bull at least <laughs> i don't think by any means it's like a i'm gonna go do some tonight but mm. I, I wonder if there's like a part of you that's like this used to be fun <laughs> yeah. there used to be a bang at the end of this <laughs> which I'm, I'm curious what they use it's definitely not baby powder um well they cut coke with baby powder so you can definitely snort i doubt baby that's what powder. they use though on films but I, I would be curious to know what it is that they use and i know sometimes they fake that stuff sometimes they don't show the yeah nose and the powder going up at the same time so sometimes it's not yeah, even actually you definitely snorting. watched al pacino put something up his nose <laughs> when he's like direct nose to glass <laughs> yeah it would be not that i'd have any interest in filming that i'd be curious to know what they use though what did we use for the heroin and the thing that we shot uh it didn't actually inject into yeah. him um, do you remember what it was water and food dye hell yeah <laughs> we're dangerous <Yeah. laughs> it was it was a blunt needle though it wasn't a real needle mm-hmm. so um yeah that was actually uh uh look over here while i'm doing the trick over here thing mm-hmm. um there was get fake... up tight on the syringe so that you can see <laughs> the liquid leaving and know, then you see the needle prosthetic. injecting in a different shot which the needle was just a blunt tip needle and, and a prosthetic um they make needles that retract, but mm. I couldn't find a needle that was affordable that retracted and would also hold liquid. Yeah, they wanted like $300. Yeah. So I was like, we're not, how many times are we going to use that needle? <laughs> yeah, um, so what we did was a blunt needle that would actually squirt liquid. And then I did a fake, um, like, little putty prosthetic mm-hmm. on the arm that blended in, and it just didn't injected into the prosthetic and then we just squeezed out the liquid (laughs) um so it's doable it's a pain in the ass but it's doable i wonder what they do use for movie coke 
We could probably Google that pretty easy. I just like I've never I've never had that thought. Like, what do they use? <laughs> Turns out, real coke. <laughs> well, I mean, you'd have to use something that wouldn't irritate you. Mm. Is like the thing because you don't want your actor to get like a bloody to nose. like sneeze. Yeah. Or yeah, that too. Um, I think if they got a bloody nose, that'd be better for the shot. That's what happens when you do a lot of coke. <laughs> That's what stunt doubles are for. You yeah. don't inflict pain on your actors. <laughs> get Steve-O in the shot. <laughs> But yeah, we're early in, so I'm I'm kind of excited to see where it goes. I'm pretty fucking pumped about it. I'm liking it a lot more than I thought I would. I thought it was just going to be something goofy we could kind of put on on a wing night and just, you know, let it play, and maybe it'll make me laugh because I love Mark Maron, but, like, it's not about him. Like, I'm oddly more involved in the dynamics between the women than I am with my favorite, like, not my favorite comedian, but one of my top ten for sure, you know, being on the show. Yeah, because the personalities are so different and Mm. for the most part kind of larger than life too like it's not just like i don't know i feel like if you went out people watching at walmart for instance you'd see like a couple you could find these guys (laughs) you'd you'd find a couple of like people that really stood out but most of the people are just kind of a blur walking by and like the characters on this show are all very distinct like you have like the chick that's like part of a like wrestling dynasty and then like the very what could have easily been stereotypical black character but she's like i don't want to be a stereotype and then like the wolf chick which is crazy (laughs) (laughs) like there's a lot of really distinct characters that have i don't know we've watched movies in the past where there's a lot of characters in the movie and i'm like fuck who was who they're hard to keep up with and that's not the case in this show you remember like i i I don't remember their names but i see them and i remember their backstory yeah (laughs) like the dynasty chick like as you mentioned the two hairstylists that are like never apart from each other like ruth is trying to be overly dramatic with like her like wrist flip or hair flip whatever the fuck the move was called where, like, they grab the hair and then they do the backflip around the thing. And then um, she basically does Les Mis. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's what it was. I keep calling it Streetcar, but it was Les well, she Mis. Well, did, she did a different play, too. She did Les Mis once, and then she did Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, yeah. I think. <laughs> I am just a cat <laughs> on a hot tin roof. Oh, theater actors. Yeah, like, I don't know. I'm in love with it, though. We'll give you Glow updates. Maybe that's what we'll do until we we finish Glow. But we're watching Glow. You guys should watch Glow. (coughs) And um, I'm going to go make... Wait, before we go. (coughs) Before you die over there. Oh, Jesus. Get my COVID shot tomorrow, everybody. I'm proud of you. I basically made you do it, but I'm proud of you. (laughs) That's why I'm nervous. If anybody's curious, the war in Afghanistan ended and I have to go... Might die tomorrow are you actually nervous you told me you weren't nervous you liar i'm not scared i'm not scared i'm nervous oh babe these are completely different things why are you telling me this on air tell Uh, me this in private i'm drinking (laughs) you told me you weren't i said i wasn't scared i'm not scared oh babe i get nervous to get in a fist fight i ain't afraid to get in a fist fight (laughs) i'll doctor you back to health um no before we go though um because we didn't like super talk about my thing and i don't really want to super talk about my thing because sorry no you're good um it's not really like set in stone in stone yet but it's definitely in momentum um especially while we're talking about a female empowerment show or just excited 
<laughs> well, we're talking about an empowerment show in general because you're um, a female. Yes, you're a you're a little girl. <laughs> no, you're the one who's usually Just see the size of my clip. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> You're the one who's usually like um, manifest like what you want or whatever you know. And yeah, I'm um, a Buddhist. Don't make it out like I read the <laughs> or secret. whatever. Of all the books that are here, the secret is Put not amongst them. Put up a dream board, Brett. <laughs> um, Got one of those. <laughs> well, no, but I mean that's like the concept, like manifesting. Um, whether it's what you want out of life or just like the energy you put in is the energy you get back out and. Mm-hmm. Um, I have applied to a lot of things lately um, and gotten a lot of rejections as well or a lot of just non-responses. Um, and I got a response yeah. back on one of them. That... Barnes & Noble did not send me a thank you. Oh. They did not send me a rejection. Well, like I said... I was like, I'm a 30-year-old English major. I, I said... can run your shit. <laughs> I said a couple of episodes ago that I had applied to something that I didn't want to talk about until I heard back on it, and it was the university again. I mm-hmm. had applied for a job at the university, and I did not even get an interview, and that stung quite a bit, because... Mm. Um, I, I meet the qualifications for sure, but I guess they just yeah. weren't impressed with it's the content. A, it's a position that they tend to fill with a recent graduate, and you are... Well, I, I, I know last time they did. I don't know if that's historically yeah. true, but for whatever reason, one way or another, um, no resentment there. Um, I didn't meet their expectations, I guess, so I didn't get an interview or mm-hmm. anything, and I really thought I was going to get an interview, so that was a bit of a blow. And so I've just been, like, out of frustration, I think, flinging my resume at anything that would stick. <laughs> it's like, hey, are you looking for literally any human body to hire the camera? Let me yeah. fucking send this one to you so as a fucking paper I, airplane. I've legit, I think, sent out, like, 15 interviews, or not interviews, 15, like, applications yeah. just in the past week. Because I'm just like, for fuck's sake, somebody. <laughs> um and I got a very generic sounding response back from uh an application that sounded sincere like whenever i applied i was like this sounds like a real job it doesn't sound like a scam but i got like a very automated generic response back pretty quickly that was like hey like send in some samples of your work and then i sent in some samples of my work and very quickly after that got another automated response back that was like let's schedule an interview but it didn't sound like i was talking to a person it sounded like a formatted email that someone had slapped my first name on yeah so I was There's like, somebody who has that account and just copy paste. Yeah, hello, yeah, Kristen. that was very much what it felt like. And I was like, the response was too quick. The email seems very generic. I was like, this probably isn't, you know, like sincere. Mm-hmm. And I scheduled the interview because it was like a Zoom interview because it's a remote position. And like I scheduled it back on Thursday or Friday, I think. And the interview was today. And, like, I have been so torn since I scheduled it. I was like, I should probably cancel that because it's, like, a seasonal job. And the mm-hmm. reply just seemed really generic. And We're I not just... even mentioning, like, the... No, not right what now. What kind of job it is? Well, it's a, it's a video editing job. Yeah. Um, but I don't really want to go into detail because it's not... Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to be working with them to what capacity, I don't know. Um, gotcha. But, um, 
Like, I have been very aggressively torn about it, like, for several days now. Like, oh, I should probably just cancel it. I don't think it's a good fit. And mm-hmm. I'm going to do the interview. And, like, just down-talking myself the whole time. I'm going to do the interview. and it's time to do it. I'm in your corner <laughs> like the cup man. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do the interview. And they're basically going to be like, yeah, we need you for the next two months. And then the season's over. And then yeah. we're done. And I was like, I can't quit my job for that, you know. And I was just, just like, it's not going to go well. This wasn't a good idea. Like, I made a mistake. And... Like, just felt so much anxious energy over it. And then um, a couple of days ago, I posted on my personal page, and I don't even know what the film was, um, like a random quote I saw on Facebook that was, like, to the extent of when you're afraid is when you should leap. Yeah. Because, you know, if you don't leap when you're afraid to make the leap, you're, you're never going gonna to... Jump. Yeah, you're going to stay in the same place in your life forever. And then... There's a beautiful... Uh... I'm sorry to disconnect you, but there's a beautiful clip of Will Smith talking about his first time skydiving. Yeah, I've seen that. That Mm -hmm. is a really good one. Um, Yeah, I don't... I I was either going to be the man who (laughs) jumped out that door, or I wasn't. (laughs) It's a really powerful speech, yeah. If you've never seen that, definitely Google that. I think if you Googled Will Smith skydiving, you'd find it pretty easy, but... um... I'm all about self (laughs) There was also um, another generic Facebook post that I saw... um, I think yesterday, actually, where it was like something along the lines of today's a beautiful day. Someone's waking up for the first time and having Mm -hmm. the best day of their life. They're either being told I love you for the first time or they're getting the job that they want or, you know, like these beautiful things are happening for other people out in the world that aren't you. And then it was like today could be your day. And I was like kind of weighing those two things in my mind today because literally all the way up to an hour before the interview I was like I should cancel it like I really should why did you want to cancel it instead of just do it and see what was going to come of it because I didn't think like I had because I knew it was if you think it's like garbage well I didn't think you make that decision after the interview (laughs) (laughs) well I didn't think it was going to be garbage but I think when I shot off the application because I shot off so many back to back um I didn't realize straight away that it was seasonal, mm-hmm. but the content that the job entails should have been obvious it was seasonal. I don't know why I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, but seasonal could be, you know, several months. You know, seasonal doesn't necessarily have to mean... Yeah, uh, you might need to take a part-time job in the winter because yeah. you can't get out. So that might be six months. It might be three months. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, I had that thought. I was like, well, I can't. I have too many bills, realistically. I can't quit my job for a temporary job like that's not a responsible choice to make and then um you remembered who you were married to (laughs) (laughs) i I remembered we moved out here and didn't have any money dollars money for the move um and then too i just like um I don't know. I don't like doing things that I feel like I'm wasting the other person's time. So it's going to sit through this interview and this interview is going to conclude and I will thank you, but, mm-hmm. um, and like the only reason I really went through with it. Cause I was like, even if it goes shitty, it's, um, practice. Cause I haven't really done like much in the way of zoom interviews. Like most of my interviews have been face to face. Oh, it was one of those? Yeah. I had to, it was on video. I thought it was a phone call. No, it was video. That's what's up. <laughs> my, uh, interview with the TV station that I got rejected for that one was a phone conversation, but this one was like zoom video. And mm. like, it gives you like a warning when you first log into the meeting that the meeting's being recorded. And I was like, well, no pressure though. <laughs> 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 so yeah, I was like, well, fuck. 
Um, did you do it in the break room? Did no, I did you... it in my car. <laughs> I went out to my car. <laughs> You're like, yo, I'm on Instagram live, yo. This dude's in his office, and I'm like, in my car. <laughs> You should have um, been like, I'm living out this bitch. I got all the time in the world. Well, I'm, like, I don't not, know why I'm turning I, into I an urban a, person. I had a nice sweater on. I wasn't. I didn't look like a hobo. My hair was down. I didn't mm-hmm. wear makeup or anything. But like, I, I had like, and I waited literally all the way until an hour before the meeting. And I was like, well, it'd be fucking rude to cancel the meeting an hour before the meeting for yeah. one. So you can't do that. And then for two, I was like, worst case scenario, if it goes shitty, it's practice at doing Zoom interviews. Yeah. So I was like... I'm bad at face-to-face <laughs> interviews. Yeah. I'm bad at phone I, interviews. I don't I love... all the practice. Yeah, I don't love doing interviews for sure, because I worked at my job in Tennessee for almost a decade. Like, yeah. it, I... Until we got here. Have not really done many interviews. <laughs> um, and since we got here, I've done a few and had to interview to the master's program for the school and all kinds of stuff so like i'm trying to like like if you keep doing it you build up some confidence hopefully it's not worked for me yet no i've been talking to people my whole life i hate doing it (laughs) um but yeah i was i was weighing those two kind of similar but different quotes and i was like you know nothing truly negative can come from not getting the job like worst case scenario yeah worst case scenario i'm in the same position i started in it's not like i got fired from my job Mm -hmm. you know i just didn't get the new job so it's like i'm gonna do it whatever and like i was so anxious energy leading up to it and the interview went fantastically like it went really well it like felt casual it didn't feel like somebody in a stuffy suit being like and what do you do and what will you bring to my company yeah <laughs> shit in a bucket and, and I, test it for fun. and like it was kind of casual tell me about yourself and this is the company and stuff like that and there was one moment where it's like okay like as an editor um tell me kind of how you would like navigate this or whatever and like i felt like you've confident. got a problem where you didn't quite get the shot how do you work around well it it wasn't that that. it was it was basically what's your approach to editing and i was like i felt comfortable answering that question because i was like i do have an approach like i do things in a certain order and even if like i get sidetracked sometimes like there's a basic premise to how i go about it so i was like well i feel confident like i know the answers to this question so that was like reassuring but um yeah i don't know i went into it and thought this is going to be a disaster and at the end of it i was like I'm really glad I didn't cancel this interview. So I, I think, um, I guess that's my takeaway for the week while we're talking about self-empowerment, whether it's men or women or whatever. Um, I like that term. <laughs> I, I think... For God consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important to at least be willing to attempt to tackle challenges that scare you. Like, I don't know how this is going to work out. It's not a full-time job, so I still can't quit my job. I'm going to have to figure out how to kind of weave the two together for now, and it's probably going to be stressful and it's going to be extra work for me, but it's also going to be extra money because I'm getting paid. Yeah. It's like when I was Um, working at the pawn shop and trying to figure out how to edit books on the side for other people. (laughs) Yeah, and I walked away from the interview feeling, like, extremely happy but also extremely anxious because it was Mm -hmm. like, fuck, now i got to figure out how to make this work. And, like, I I think that's kind of the attitude people should approach things with if you care about them and you're sincere about them is I have to figure out how to make this work because not making this work isn't an option. It's not an option. Yeah, so... I don't know that was my little spill for the day like 
I don't know, in the coming weeks, I guess we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I, I'm still feeling kind of all over the place mm-hmm. and anxious energy. And I, I felt a lot of like, what the fuck am I doing leading <laughs> up to it? And then what it was like... What do you like, think causes the what the fuck am I doing when you chase your dream? Because like, to me, when I'm actively setting a mission, I don't know if you noticed how clean your desk looks today, by the way. Oh, um, thank you. I didn't notice. <laughs> um, or how organized that bookshelf is. The but when I'm... Like, I feel like a phony when I'm not actively writing or thinking about writing or reading something that inspires me to write. It's the whole purpose of the chalkboard is mm-hmm. that, like, this is what's going to get me the fuck out of this apartment. Like, this is my window out. You know, I I don't feel phony when I put in for even a job at the Barnes & Noble. Let me sell books to people. It'll bring me closer to the dream, you know? So, like, I feel phony when I wake up and I have to go to work at a place where I don't feel challenged or inspired, you know, or supported a lot of the time. Um, I feel like... Sitting in your car, talking into your phone, being the badass that you are, that should be the point. Like, there's a quote on the back of, uh, after I finished Dope World, I started Rudy Francisco's I'll Fly Away um, poetry collection. And the quote on the back of the book is, um, English is the shiniest hammer in my toolbox but it's the only tool i own you know like to me it's like yeah i'm gonna beat my way (laughs) through these goddamn walls well i i think comfortable with that (laughs) i think for me it's not the it's not the challenge it's not like this is new or Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna have to like step up my game or anything like that like that's not the part that's scary and i think this is probably what's true for most adults i think what catches you up in the end is once you're an adult and you're independent and no one's supporting you anymore and especially if you have a family that then depends on you Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pressure to make responsible decisions so you don't feel (laughs) like if I was single and which I I did stuff like that whenever I was single and um slept out of the car you still keep a pillow in your trunk no I threw that away you threw out the pillow well it was wine stained (laughs) in my car um I didn't spill wine on my pillow the wine she had the brakes and the wine broke wine from the grocery (laughs) shopping shattered in my car and yeah I used to keep a air mattress and a pillow and Mm -hmm. a blanket in my car because I used to travel and freelance more um yeah when I was single that was a thing I did like I fucked off to Atlanta for an entire month and I was like I'll be back in a month you know and Mm -hmm. like once you're um once you have like responsibilities and obligations and stuff there's a fear of I have to make the right choice for like in our situation the both of us were married and I can't Mm -hmm. go on a coke bender all night and blow all our money you know like I can (laughs) you can't make I don't do coke I've done it twice I hate it I've never done it the demon (laughs) 
<laughs> Cocaine is a demon. All right, continue. <laughs> that, that was a metaphor. Like, you can't just, like, fuck off and do whatever you yeah. want. And, like, I don't hang out of the pool hall anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, that was a thing you did before I'm we I'm getting met. my COVID shot tomorrow because I'm Superman. I appreciate you. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was a thing you did before we were together. You used to go to the pool hall. Every um, night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> frequently. And you don't do that anymore. And, like, I think especially when people have children that they're then trying to raise like you feel an obligation to make responsible choices for the sake of your family so I guess for me that's the hesitancy is like I I have to responsibly chase the dream and I think that's like the whole point of the Bill Burr bit where he's like sleeping on the futon no the one where the dude's like I can't pay the rent mm-hmm. um and I have to tell my wife I can't pay the rent but I'm chasing the dream and he's like no you pay have the to, rent yeah he's like you have put to in pay the, work the rent after. but you better work harder <laughs> and so like for me that's it is like if somebody had come up to me and been like here's a full-time job for you that is everything that you wanted and it's going to pay the bills I'd easily no stress be like fuck yes please and thank you um yeah. But when somebody comes up to you and says, it's not as steady pay, um, but we'll work with you and we'll try to make this work as best as we can, you're like, how much harder is this going to make things? And Mm -hmm. is this going to affect both of us? Or am I going to be able to juggle this act just so, so that I can make it work? So I think for me, that's the hesitancy is it's not a full-time job. It's a freelancing gig that is seasonal so at some points there's going to be highs and lows and can I make that work while still being responsible just know um, I would rather you be happy and us be struggling like if that makes any Mm -hmm. sort of sense like I, I would rather I stay at my current job um which definitely pays the bills. We're not hurting for no, money. I I invest my money. I have money. Like that's we, not the we, point. we can afford, you know, if we need to. So we're in a position that like most twenty year olds aren't in, but enough <clears throat> thirty year olds without children, we get to have this experience. Yeah. Um Never be nervous to chase the dream, sweetheart. But that's not the point, though. Like I'm I'm partially talking to you, partially talking to the audience. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, I I see Facebook posts, and I I don't mean to be degrading. I understand that that is a very difficult endeavor. It's not a literal job, but being, like, a full-time stay-at-home mom is Mm -hmm. work, for sure. According to Bill Burr, it's the (laughs) the hardest job on the planet. I, I, I think it's silly when people list that as their occupation because it's not a job. You don't make money, but it is a difficult endeavor for mm-hmm. sure. You're responsible for keeping tiny people who don't understand life and death matters alive. You're in charge of not alive. raising an asshole. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you're in charge of raising functioning adults. So it, it's an incredibly difficult task for sure. But um, I don't find it empowering whenever I see people's posts on Facebook or online or whatever where they're like, happy father's day or happy anniversary or whatever like my husband does this and this and this to provide for our family yeah, he's and never then, around yeah you know, and then tells the, our children that they can chase their dream without giving him an example yeah, to live by. and then the other person's stay-at-home parent and it's literally just the one parent mm-hmm. slaving away so that you have food on the table and shelter above you and I, I don't find those type of posts inspirational 
Um, I find them kind of frustrating because I, I think there's a stereotype, speaking of empowerment, <laughs> I think there's a stereotype that men have to provide, and I don't mm-hmm. abide by that philosophy. Um, for a huge chunk of my life, my mother was the provider. Like, my yeah. dad worked for sure. Your mom's a sure. badass. <laughs> my dad worked for sure. It's not that my dad didn't contribute, but yeah. my mom worked aggressively. My, my mom was a go-getter for a long time. And... Um, I, I don't buy into that philosophy that it's the man's job or the woman's job to do anything. Like, mm-hmm. Brett does all the cooking because I'm a dog shit cook. And I love cooking. <laughs> and um, I, I, our financial situation... Kristen cleaned our fucking garbage disposal. She did the last plumbing project we needed because I hardly know my way around a screwdriver. I'm not a real man. I That's write not poems true. and I get See, in fist fights. Dumb- that's a dumb sentiment like that a man obviously joking love i work on the jeep like i, like I know my way around but a i mean that, but that's a real stereotype that a man is this or a woman is this and like financially we're in um i mean i have more bills than you do i guess technically mm-hmm. but as far as what we pull in each month we're in similar situations and like i i don't ascribe to the stereotype that my dreams or my desires should come at the sacrifice of yours just because you're the man. So and vice versa. <laughs> um, so I guess for me, that's more the hesitancy. Like I get realistically, if I was like, I'm truly miserable, I want to quit and I want to go do this instead, you would support me. But that comes at the sacrifice of you being able to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think unless we're both in a position where we can be like, we're both unhappy. We both don't want to do this anymore. Let's go do this instead. It's not fair for me to be like, well, I'm going to do this. <clears throat> no, I have a lot of faith in you, though. Because a, a certain special uh, author who's just, I mean, if I had to think of him, I'd think of him in terms of just pure brilliance, like radiance, like, it, like <laughs> other people get more skillful at their individual crafts just by being around him. Once called you, you a legend and a letter of recommendation. He has you quivering by his talent and his death stare. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, two options. You're either going to love this sentence or I'm going to knock your teeth right out your fucking face. And I called you a legend with one of those sentences. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, like if Kanye West was white and 30, living in Montana. <laughs> Right. I'm going to go make you some wings and rings, my love. Love you. We're going to watch more Glow. Yeah. Or Fear Factor. Could be. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And I love you guys. And we will talk to you whenever we feel like it. But you hang on the very words that...